This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. On this episode, we have Oliver Yanchev, Marketing Director at Social Chain. Oliver, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Hey, pleasure to be here. Terrific. Thank you for coming. Okay, so what makes things tick? You may asking this question every once in a while about a lot of things in your life, or at least curious folks among us, and I'm sure you're one of them, right? So have you been wondering lately what makes TikTok tick? How the most successful Instagram and YouTube rival makes its magic? On this episode, Oliver will help us to answer this question. But before revealing, revealing the secret sauce of TikTok and what makes this thing tick, and I guess talk, Let's talk about you, Oliver. Please tell us about yourself, your background. <laughs> Amazing. I think everyone always feels uncomfortable introducing themselves. It feels like you're on a date or, or something particularly in a, <laughs> you know, a formal setting. But um, right, yeah, I, right. <laughs> I'm currently MD of Social Chain. I've been in the business since the early days. Uh, I've had quite an eclectic career before my Social Chain days. You know, as a, as a young man, I was an aspiring football player or let's call it a failed football player because I didn't quite make it. I ended up then pursuing a musical career. Um, I became a musician uh, for several years. And like most people that end up in some form of media marketing or advertising, I always feel like we're an eclectic mix of people that didn't 100% know what they wanted to do. <laughs> I ended up working for a large media owner, working in, in the commercial teams there, which later, a few years later, led me to joining this rocket ship of a startup at the time that was called Social Chain. Oh, that's a very nice path. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> Quite diverse. Do you still play football? Uh, I do. My knees, they creak a little. I'm maybe not as durable as I once was, but I like to think I'm, I'm still pretty good. <laughs> nice. Okay, you mentioned social chain. Let's talk about the company. What do you guys do right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, social chain is, I would call, and it, it sounds almost self-indulgent, but it's a, a bit of an enigma in marketing. So it does multiple things. But at the center of what social chain does, it's a, effectively a social first marketing services business. And we pretty much cover everything and anything in social media from insight, strategy, creative, execution, distribution, influencer marketing, brand development, comms, all of those things. And if I was to give you the romantic vision of what social chain does, we've had a philosophy of helping brands stay at the forefront of what's possible. Um, and when we started six and a half years ago, brands used to come to us and it was all the vanity ticks of marketeers. It was help us trend on Twitter. We want to go viral. We want to reach lots of people. So that was kind of innate to our business. I suppose if you fast track to today, for me, keeping brands at the forefront of what's possible is really about helping unpick social media, find opportunities and develop impactful strategies that really anchor to business goals. It's not just about, you know, reaching lots of people, 
getting lots of likes, lots of followers. It's really about delivering results. And um, that's where I would say our, our specialism is today. Spending six years in business, do you see kind of a progression? Do people still ask this kind of a naive questions or they kind of progress in their understanding of what is social media? Have they evolved? I guess this is what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I, great question. I think... Um, I would say the honest answer is people still like the magic that is virality. This mm -hmm. idea that you can create something, not pay a lot of money and reach tens of millions of people is always going to be attractive, right? So look, the question still is posed, but I think there's an acknowledgement that going viral trending is not a strategy. That is a, a consequence of fortune doing the right things and having good values and great work. You can't predict it. You can set yourself up for success and do the right things. So mm -hmm. look works with you and not against you. But ultimately, um, people are more aware today of what they can and can't do. But we still get the question, help us go viral. That's very common. <laughs> nice. Okay, let's switch uh, to TikTok. Uh, and I guess a good starting point would be to tell people, how does TikTok look like in numbers today? How many folks are using this uh, app on the planet? For how long do they use the app daily? Kind of a demographics uh, thumbnail sketch. Yeah, absolutely. So TikTok, formerly musically, a bite dance product, is a real monster. You know, we 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 didn't think we would see a day where Facebook owning WhatsApp and Instagram would would see a, a real rival. You know, it didn't feel possible in their dominance. Um, but TikTok came along and said, uh, hold my beer, we're, we're coming, right? So TikTok Devin today... Haven't purchased it. <laughs> absolutely. And TikTok today, well, in terms of scale, and I mean it's a monster, it's been downloaded over 2 billion times globally. We have a population of 7 billion people, so you kind of see the economics. What's really impressive is over a billion active users globally. I think it sits about 1.2 billion or somewhere in that region. in the Daily or monthly? Uh, active users monthly. The 100 million plus of those are in the United States. So again, proportionately, you're reaching about a third of the, you know, certainly more than a third of the adult population yeah. um, in the US. But what is most impressive for me is this statistic that is the average user, not the crazy user, the average user spends 52 minutes a day on the app. The depth and consumption habits is astronomical. That's not young people. Young people are about 15 to 20 minutes more. So on average. So you get to see as a, as a UX, as a product, call it, uh, you know, sinister. It's addictive, right? People spend yeah, a definitely. lot of time on TikTok. Yeah, that's for sure. I guess uh, kids, uh, teens have more you know, free time on their hands to spend more time on the app. A grown adults, they have to run for, for their jobs at some point. They just have to drop their app. They, can't, they just uh, don't have a luxury to spend that much time as kids do. Let's talk a little bit about the current state of affairs between brands and TikTok. Uh, so what brands do you see using platform most? Which ones are kind of tiptoeing? And what brands do you believe can absolutely benefit, but it's not on their radar? Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Because you kind of said that in the, in the pretext to that question is, uh, 
it's it's a lot of young people. Absolutely, there's a lot of young people on the, the app, but it's actually one of the big misconceptions. If you look at the demographic data in terms of emergence, um, if you're under 45, there is a reasonable, and under 45 isn't by no means um, old, but um, 85% of users are between 25 or over 25 years old. So that gives you a scale proportionately. Mm-hmm. On the app itself, there is a lot of adults using. Um, if you look at the content creators and the dynamic of shifts, there's a lot more people uh, of maturity that are entering the platform. But it stemmed from young people and kids dancing, playing, creating this you know escapism, this playful arena. Um, that's where it stemmed from. Um, when I go to brands and, and the legacy of kind of its heritage being this music fun, you know, dancers, pets, all these stigmas that are attached, that's left a legacy that means that a lot of brands have been very slow to adopt the platform and actually leverage it as a channel. You know, if you think of total Twitter, you think of how many brands are on Twitter, every brand, every brand business will have a Twitter or more than likely to have so, have a Twitter. How many boardrooms across the world have debated whether or not they should have a TikTok because it's all kids? And it's often because it's just, it's, it felt like an unknown world. It felt like a world that you didn't understand. But if I said to you, there's four times as many people on TikTok than uh, on Twitter globally, you'd take it seriously and you probably should, right? So just in terms of the, the scale and the potential of the opportunity, brands haven't been taking it seriously until they start to see these stories about investments that are, are somewhat nominal and, and businesses and brands that are reaching not just tens of millions of people, but reaching billions of people because they were early movers. I'll give you one bit of context as well. We can take a brand that we all know, Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Red Bull started their TikTok channel around 11 months ago, right? Uh, the UK TikTok channel. So I'm going to give the UK perspective. They started about 11 months ago. It took TikTok, the UK team, uh, sorry, the, the Red Bull team, it took them around four years to garner 300,000 followers on Instagram. Within 11 months, they have over a million followers on Instagram, uh, on TikTok. Like the ability, and I wouldn't consider Red Bull, if you started your TikTok channel as a brand a year ago, I wouldn't consider you an early adopter. I'd actually say you're a little late to the party, but because so many other brands and businesses have been late to the party, the opportunity still exists, but it diminishes every single day. And it diminishes, when I say opportunity, I mean, the opportunity is that magic. How do I go from zero to hero in, in, in you know, a year? Um, and every day, that opportunity diminishes. So I think it's really important that brands and businesses, um, first and foremost, respect TikTok. And secondly, try. Like most people have an opinion on it without ever being on the app, how, how ever tried to create something. I think the first and foremost thing you have to do is try. And then going to your question around like who's, what are brands that have done well? Um, naturally, a few years ago, we saw uh, progressive or innovative brands or brands that fall under the entertainment c- category do really well. 
So record labels focused on TikTok because TikTok was determining what would be successful in popular culture. What would be successful? What would chart? TikTok was becoming this monster of an influence in the music industry. It was then followed by the entertainment industry, film, music, studios. It felt like this entertaining space and vehicle that you could reach lots of people cost efficiently. Then we started to see the more progressive end of the competitive industries in social like fashion and beauty. I would say beauty and fashion brands that were probably on the rise. So fast fashion brands and beauty brands that are more independent, not conglomerates, started Mm -hmm. to make moves. And then we saw this whole wave of CPG brands start to care. And, And my view on TikTok is... If you have a if you're un, if you have a product or a service that appeals to someone under 40 years old and they use it and you're not using TikTok, you're missing out. <laughs> Period. And that's how I, I think of how much of an opportunity I think TikTok is. So I guess kind of summarizing what you're saying for brands, it's not a healthy situation when you're jumping in a platform where you just saw on the news that your competitor is already there. And he's basically eating your lunch, right? Absolutely. It's the, it's the paradox that we as an agency often receive. We hear this narrative of we want to be first. We want to be innovative. We want to try new things because that's what history teaches us in social media. Early movers get all the advantages. However, that is followed up with, but we want five of our competitors to have been there, done that, and proven results. But we also want to be first. It's a very confusing narrative that we all accept as marketeers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's so let's just uh, give a little bit more of a light for what are the ingredients for TikTok's phenomenal rise? Like, thanks to what things basically skyrocket to the uh, uh, level of popularity that it has now. Yeah, uh, I would say uh, you can't talk about TikTok's success without talking about ByteDance, a lot of investment. You know, I think the acquisition for TikTok, and I could be wrong on this number, was around sort of four and a half, five billion, somewhere in that region of uh, acquiring Musical.ly. A chunk of money. (laughs) Expensive. Um, We were a partner that supported TikTok uh, a few years back on, on certain acquisition strategies. And the expenditure that, you know, they invested in key markets being the US and certain European territories was astronomical. You know, it was unseen. So you can't talk about success without real, consistent, brave investments because there's no guarantees for success, particularly when, but you need to be brave if your intention is to become a world-leading entertainment platform. TikTok is a client of ours, and TikTok don't just view Facebook as the competition. They view Netflix. They are competing for our time and our attention. They view every media property in the world as competition or anything that produces content, right, is, in theory, competition to TikTok. Um, So you have to first and foremost say investment. And then I would say the three things that led to their success that they got right where others failed was they made um, they saw other channels as as channels, not competition in their marketing efforts. And what I mean by that is, if you go onto TikTok in two clicks, you can share a watermarked video that you created on TikTok all over social channels. 
Whereas if you try and do that in any other ecosystem, particularly it's changed, but it's quite difficult to share outside of the ecosystem. Everybody tries to create, you're often penalized for sharing links that leave platforms on many apps. Um, what TikTok did is they created this amazing, uh, basically video studio at the hands of anybody that anybody can use that's consistently evolving, that's super intuitive. They put that in the hands of people and they said, create things and we will let you share it anywhere. We don't care. We're not precious about where it's shared. So what Mm -hmm. you start to see was TikTok's being flooded all over the internet and TikTok's then started to drive the cultural narrative of the world. So things that started on TikTok then entered other social streams and influenced the world. So if you, after years of seeing TikTok, you were suddenly curious, right? After flooding feeds and trends and knowing what's going on. And everyone who was part of the TikTok community felt ahead of the curve. They were the people that were like in on the joke. So you have this like really passionate, powerful community that found a home and TikTok allowed people and had inbuilt sharing mechanisms. I think the second thing on that is the way that TikTok also, TikTok's main driver is their algorithm being the For You page. So where they differed from every other social network, if you think of Facebook, you are, you are reaching a, a community of people that you follow or connections, right? If yeah. you think about Instagram, the, the searchability and the, the features and discovery isn't quite there. Um, platforms like Pinterest are very discoverable. YouTube, very discoverable. They kind of amalgamated all these worlds. And they went, they created a for you page that effectively will cater to your viewing habits and serve you discovery content and serve you content um, that had no uh, parallels with how big the audience was of the content creator. So you could go as a young person, you could create something that share that to a hundred people and the for you page, uh, the for you page would essentially power that and it was possible that you could reach millions of people that reinforces that behavior if you know people and i'll take it like a a junior level if you're in Mm -hmm. a school or a college environment and you know lots of people that are just gaining this crazy momentum of traction you're going to be interested it's social reinforcement so they had this for you page that wasn't only incredible by nature of what it would deliver and its sophistication as an algorithm, but it's actually incredibly addictive as a result of that. And then the last thing that's worth noting is as a user experience, it's phenomenal. You go onto TikTok, your ability to consume lots in a, in a very short space of time, lots of relevant content, lots of fun, interesting content. You then combine that with this wave or this dreaded C word that was COVID, where we're all, you know, trapped in our homes. And that just supercharges. You have this playful, entertaining, escapist arena where we all have a little more time on our hands. And then we now have the TikTok of today. So there are a lot of conflating factors, but I would say the the three or four big ones are investment, the, the user experience and how they innately built social shareability into their product, the algorithm that is the For You page was unique, powerful, um, incredibly effective. And then they were a benefactor of COVID, like other social platforms, Twitch, also another benefactor of COVID and, and, and many others. 
You've mentioned that uh, TikTok uh, is one of the big players that are competing for our attention. And I've recalled this uh, quote by CEO of Netflix. He once said that we have only a few competitors, YouTube, Facebook, and sleep. <laughs> so I guess right now TikTok is number fourth. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about myths about TikTok. Let's dismantle a few. Let's bust them. What are the myths about TikTok right now? One of them we discussed earlier. I'm going to give you three. So I think three is super important. It's all kids. It's all kids is a myth. As I said, 85% of the users or 83% is somewhere in that region of users that are above 25 years old. Like the predominant audience is between 25 and 45, the lion's share. Um, if you go into some markets, that increases. And what you've seen during COVID as well is the intra anyone, there's real clear parallels between people that have families. So if you have children, the more children you have in your household, the more likely you are as a parent to be on TikTok, as you can imagine. Right. You know, the kids bring that into the house, you, you're curious, and then you learn to really like TikTok. And it's the antithesis, if you think about it, it's the antithesis of Instagram, where you've got filtered faces and vanity and at the front and center of what they do. TikTok's like real people showing real things, trying to entertain and It's, it's really varied. So first and foremost, um, it's not all young people. That's that's a myth that is holding brands that may service mature audiences or adult audiences from going on platform. And I think that's uh, a falsehood. Um, the second myth, I would say, is it's all dancing and cute pets and music. Um, it is a There are a lot of dancing. <laughs> There is a lot of dancing. There is a lot of silliness and cute pets. They are adorable. There is lots of them. Um, but it doesn't end there. Um, you wouldn't believe the amount of immersive worlds or rabbit holes that you can find yourself in. If you have an interest in plants, there is a whole world called Plant TikTok. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, there's a whole world about entrepreneurship. If you're interested in, in building a career, there is a whole world of creators that are telling you about careers. Um, if you're into pottery, there is a whole world of pottery. Like if you're into ASMR, I can just go on for days. Whatever you are into, there isn't a product or service that isn't relevant in some way on TikTok. So that is a really, a really harmful narrative that is created it's all dancing and music dancing and music powers the platform and, and and takes a lion's share of the content but as a partner that works with tiktok they're working really hard to dispel some of these narratives that exist and they're making really big investments in supporting a, div a diverse array of creators from all backgrounds all interest types and and such and then my final i suppose myth that i think people have is that How can a 10-second to one-minute video be any value to a business or a brand? Um, and that, to me, if we look at the data, the data tells us you may be watching 10-second to one-minute videos, but you're probably watching them for an hour a day, right? So like mm -hmm. in that context, short-form content, and it's actually there's um, a really interesting TED Talk from a, a comedian called Andrew Schultz, and he's somewhat of a... Uh, a controversial character. He's had a real meteoric rise, very uh, willing to speak his mind. And in the context of comedy, no territory is off limits. 
Uh, he's like, uh, you know, very uh, focused in, in that arena. And his TED talk is interesting because he talks about his emergence into the world of comedy. And the world said, uh, you know, for you to be a comedian, you have to have a comedy special. You need to create it that it's an hour long. It needs to do X, Y, and Z. But Andrew looked at the world and said, but everyone's viewing, you know, one minute videos. People are spending eight minutes on a YouTube video. They're doing this. So why are comedy sets and why are we producing content for one hour? So what he did is he took his material and basically shortened it, made it relevant for YouTube, took away the barriers of this cycle that was like, and produced a lot more of it, which is hard to do in a comedic sense because it takes time to craft stories and pull material. But he got good at the craft of creating lots of material and built a content engine that meant he was producing lots of these three to eight minute videos. And what he found is the average fan on his YouTube channel was watching two and a half hours of content within his ecosystem of three to eight minute videos, way more than the average person watching a comedy special for up to one hour. Because in speaking to people, what Andrew learned is that, yeah, I've watched X person's comedy special on Netflix, but um, I didn't see it all. I saw the first half. Like that was like a really repeated narrative. So this idea that you can't make short form content intrinsically valuable to you is another falsehood that, and I think it stems from a bit of ego as marketeers. We can look at, it's like you can look at a meme and say a meme, it's, you know, it's this childish thing. Meme is the, a meme is the language of the internet. And if Wall Street bets can teach you anything that the fringe of the internet and memes <laughs> could ultimately influence and take down big institutions, right? There's like this whole debate. So that to me is a harmful narrative that content on TikTok is trivial and short form doesn't work. So they're my three. Um, it's not all young people. It's not all, you know, cute animals and dancing and those things. And I think short form content can be really valuable despite um, many of us having a perception that it's not. Gotcha. Okay. I hope at this point we've managed to convince some of the skeptics among our audience that TikTok can actually work for them. Now let's give them some tips for how to make it right. The good stuff. Okay, the actionable advice. Yep. Um, first and foremost, use TikTok. And th th there's two reasons for saying this. Um, I mentioned the For You page. The For You page is heavily influenced and directed by your initial behaviors. So you will discover things based on your interests. And if you're a brand and you want to know, and you're a, you're a company that, you know, let's call, let's call a, a more conservative industry. You're an insurance company, right? And um, you're figuring out how, what role can TikTok play for me? Go follow and interact with other insurance companies or creators that you like And you will soon be on the pulse of what is happening on TikTok within, you know, within days. You will start to get served more relevant things more frequently, and you'll be exposed to things that ultimately perform well on platform. So try it to teach your For You page to work for you. That's kind of it. And then try it because it's actually a really interesting, immersive world. And when you first go on the platform or play around with it, it seems like there's this whole new vernacular. There's it's wild, it's crazy, it feels unstructured. But over time, you will grow to like it more and more and more, and you will find more utility, uh, you, uh, utility use 
for the app itself. So first and foremost, tip number one, you have to try it. The second thing I would say is if, you know, as marketeers, we're always trying to figure out ways to create content. You go find me a way to write a really interesting, insightful blog that doesn't take a lot of time. You go produce a YouTube video that doesn't take a lot of time. You go do most content formats that doesn't take a lot of time. TikTok is a really low barrier to entry. I can take a, a product, a coffee, I can do something, I can know what's happening on the platform because I've been using it. Trends are happening. There are thousands of trends forming simultaneously at any one time. And I can create a video and I can do something fun, interesting. And you have to do that with no ego. You have to just create with no ego because that's the biggest barrier is brands want everything to be perfect. TikTok is the antithesis of perfect. And right. if you're developing a content strategy, you have to think about TikTok unlike any other channel. Um, and then that goes to the next tip for me. The third tip is be native. Do use the native features. Do not produce an asset somewhere else and put it on TikTok. It will fail. It will fail. It will reach no one. It won't work. If you are a coffee brand and you put a trending track behind this and you do something fun and one of the features and the editing suites is working with this and you do that, it'll probably work way better than your $15,000 production that you've made as a corporate video. So that's the reality of TikTok. And the job of TikTok is to serve a business need. And if your business need is reaching more people, cultivating an audience, building community, TikTok is the place to be. Um, and last tip that I think is really actionable, or, or maybe two, I will say always put people over product. And what I mean by that is product is a secondary, people have to come first. It's a people first platform. There are other platforms, take Pinterest, take Instagram, where product can work perfectly well. Facebook also as well. Um, but TikTok is not that. Always put the people front and center and the personality that supports that. Um, and last thing I say, try and be intentional. Um, be intentional with what you do. As in, don't try and do everything because there are thousands of trends happening at any one time. So if you're trying to right. join them or contribute, be intentional. Find out what, what's your voice, what you should speak on and what you shouldn't. But underpinning all of this is just create, create, create. Do not be afraid to post lots of videos a day. I'll give you a context. The fastest growing sport on TikTok is the NBA. The NBA posts 15 TikTok videos a day as a commitment, like... They post a lot. And yes, they are an entertainment vehicle. So they will post lots and they have archive footage and they have huge teams of content streams. But that gives you an idea that, you know, if you produce 15 things, one of them might go to the moon, 14 of them might not. Figure out a way to produce lots and lots and lots and get rid of any kind of brand ego or hesitation that's associated with following brand guidelines and, and all these things that hold marketeers back from doing the right thing. All right, terrific. Uh, I think we're done with the major topic on the table. And right now I just wanna ask a quick questions that I'm asking um, that every guest on the show to let the audience know my guests a little bit better. So question number one, are you iOS or Android person? What smartphone brand do you prefer? Uh, I, I've been iOS forever um, because I have, it would be too inconvenient in my life uh, <laughs> to ever change from Apple. They have me, my iCloud, my photos, my lap. They have me, right? I couldn't even 
swap if I wanted to. So I'm going to have to go iOS. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I totally, I, I totally see what you mean. It's like the whole ecosystem around you, like uh, that's that would be totally inconvenient if you try to, you know, pull up something out of it and you know, switch on Android on the Samsung phone. That just wouldn't work. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the first mobile phone. Can you remember what was your first mobile phone? I can. Um, so I had two, and I can't remember which I got first. I remember there was a phone called the Sagem. It was like uh, it was called the Sagem S A G E M. Um, it cost forty pounds. I bought it from a, a non-existent retailer now uh, called Woolworths, and I do remember having a thirty-two ten when I was a when I, I swapped it for a uh-huh. gold ring that my dad gave me, and he was really mad with me on a bus. <laughs> uh, I it for a thirty. I can't remember which I got first, but they were my two phones. <laughs> <laughs> But you can still remember it because you've <laughs> you've exchanged it for a ring. Okay, so presuming that we're not in a lockdown, we're not stuck at home. Imagine you've left uh, your smartphone at home when you're going out. I don't know, groceries, uh, work, whatever. What would be the most missing feature for you? Two things in work. I'm gonna say my diary, and I live by my diary and my email. I'm the person. I once said to my. Uh, girlfriend impulsively while I was working she asked me to do something and I said can you email me because that's like <laughs> actually and and that didn't go down well at all as you can imagine yeah uh, I said can you email me I you. what I meant is I'm work they're my logical steps I live by what my diary says that's the only way I can stay sane while I am messaged from a billion and you know directions at any one time <laughs> <laughs> Got it. If you take a look at your iPhone and think about things that you would like this thing be able to do, but now it's just not capable. Could be uh, hardware, software. What stuff uh, it's missing for you right, right now? What new app technologies, hardware technologies are you most excited about uh, that it's coming, but it's not a part of the reality yet? It's not that it's not part of reality, but I've I've been bullish on AR capabilities for some time. I think I'm probably more bullish on AR in in the the world that we're operating now in a post-COVID world. We've seen industries, barriers be breakdown in industries. You know, we've seen 10 years of progressive innovation and development happen overnight, you know, mass adoption and technologies. And I think AR personally is interesting to me, um, this idea, particularly in the world of commerce, you know, the ability to, I think we've seen... Um, Businesses like IKEA and IKEA work, right? take real progressive steps for some time because it was a you know the technology and the the their ability they found a real easy user case while the technology was more rudimentary at scale. But as we've seen that like evolve now into fashion, you're seeing you know people be able to try and sneakers. Um, this whole world of NFTs, where I think it was either Chanel or Gucci did a trainer where you paid $10 and you buy an AR, like they lean on exclusivity and, mm-hmm. you know, charging premiums for, for, for brand. Right. So like, I think AR is a really interesting world. Um, I'm more bullish on AR than VR just because I think VR is some time away yet in, in a meaningful mass adoption. Um, and I know there are a lot of really strong VR, uh, advocates in the world in the technology space but for me ar feels more functional in the world we operate in and i can see so many like business user cases 
um, learning opportunities, uh, marketing opportunities that are really tangible in the next three years. So for me, that's the, the technology I'm most excited about. All right. Um, now, before I let you go, just one more question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you want to get in touch with Social Chain, we are just socialchain.com. Um, if you want to connect with me personally on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or anywhere, I'm just uh, at Oliver Yonchev. Mm-hmm. Uh, any handle. Um, and if any guests want to email personally, my email is just oliver at socialchain.com. Great. Terrific. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, Oliver. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Awesome. And that was Oliver Yanchev, Marketing Director at Social Chain. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. And you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.